0: Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the couch. It is I, Raquel Adanae of RaquelAdanae.com, military spouse, homeschooling mom, communication stylist, and encouragement extraordinaire. Y'all, we are now three weeks into Black History Month. Many of our children are doing projects at school, or we're trying to offer opportunities for growth for ourselves and for exposure to our children. But this has been a topic that has not only been in conversations within circles I have, But just kind of with myself, because I mean, listen, when you're at home with your children all day, sometimes the only adult conversation you get is with yourself. Anywho, I wanna talk to you about the invisible load of being a minority mom. And because I'm a Black woman, I can specifically speak from that experience. Here's what I mean we are currently living through what has now almost been a year of this pandemic. But many of us, unless You just chose to completely ignore the happenings of last year, saw the surge of what seemed to be the Civil Rights Movement 2.0, which was spurred on by injustice and outright murder. And let's be honest, it was a lot. If I'm honest, there's an invisible load that goes along with being a black woman who's raising little girls who will someday be black women. There are lessons that I feel they need to learn. There are truths that I have to share with them. There are experiences that I have to explain to them or help them understand or recognize that sometimes don't exist for those who are members of the majority. What do you mean? That That's not a thing. Okay, let's break it down. So we live in a predominantly white area. And about two years ago... Our oldest was in her activity and she just started to cry. Her coach came over and said, you know, I don't know what's going on. I thought she had gotten hurt, but I asked her what was wrong. And she said, mommy, I'm the only brown person, which was striking because it was the first time she'd ever made mention of that or made mention of race in any context to herself. And later that night, she said, mommy, I'm the only brown person at school, too all the other brown people moved away. I said, well, yes, you are. And she kind of left it alone. And a few days later, she came back and was playing her tablet. And the avatar she made for her game was Caucasian. And I was kind of taken aback. And so I asked her, I said, well, isn't your avatar an opportunity to create a character that kind of looks like you or that represents you? oh, yeah. I said, well what about this character do you feel represents you? She outright said nothing. Said, oh, well, that's interesting. Why would you want to, you know, have an avatar that doesn't represent you? And her words to me were, mommy, I'm the only brown person at my activity. I'm the only black person at school. I don't want to be one of the few black people in the game too. I just want to blend in somewhere. (sighs) Cue deep sigh. Y'all at the time she was seven. So how do I address this? As a Black woman who has loved the skin that she's in, it never really dawned on me to reinforce the beauty of my daughter's melanin to her. I had told her she was beautiful or complimented her as a whole person, but never specifically her Blackness, for a lack of better word. And now here she was essentially telling me that in her mind, this was some sort of disadvantage or made her feel lonely. And so as we walk through this, just in conversation, as well as you can have conversations with a seven-year-old, it was a reminder to me that children recognize differences. They do. They're observant. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when they begin to create narratives around some of these differences as they relate to themselves, that's where we as parents have to step in. Unfortunately. For us as minorities, those conversations come earlier. Some of them we have to initiate. I have friends who have Black sons. And hey, if you're out on the playground and a girl says, don't play with me or don't do this, put your hands up and back away. Why? Training him for what's going to happen in life so he doesn't become a victim of, well, he touched me and I said no and and he didn't stop. Teaching them early. And while... Instilling in young boys and girls the respect of another person's physical boundaries and their bodies, there's another layer. Countless conversations have been had with those who I know who are parents of teenagers about what to do if you have to interact with law enforcement. Conversations that I'm sure a lot of families in the minority or Caucasian families simply just don't have, other than to say, well, if you get pulled over, call me. Or if something happens, make sure you let me know right away. And we've all seen through news and cell phone recordings that there can be at times a double standard in how black and brown people are treated in this world, not just with law enforcement, but in general. And then we have to take those things that we experience, trickle them down to the next generation so they can not only feel prepared, but so that they're aware that is heavy. Sometimes it's hard. When my daughter asked me who Brianna Taylor was, it brought tears to my eyes. Because Brianna Taylor was a woman sleeping in her bed, a beautiful young woman with a career and a family who loved her and a life that's now gone. How do I somehow compress down the reality of her truth and her story in a way that's digestible to my child? How do I explain you know, Black Lives Matter and the protests and why people are so mad and upset without putting a burden on my adolescent about the realities of this world. So having to not only walk through life as a wife and a mother and homemaker, professor, but also as a friend and a sister, as a Black woman, as a Black woman in predominantly white areas, as a minority in a lot of the settings that I'm in, And while raising my children, while dealing with the civil unrest and the trauma that comes along with things that are happening in the world that we can't control, but then somehow raising individuals who look forward to a future, who are not fearful of law enforcement or fearful of people who don't look like them. I'll never forget, we talked about history and my daughter asked me about Dr. Martin Luther King we were watching a short little documentary and she just looked so upset. And I said, well, what's wrong? And she said, why would, why would people refer to black people as monkeys? I said, where'd you, where'd you learn that? Oh, I was reading a book that I picked out from the library and uh, I, I read it in the book. And since we were talking about Dr. Martin Luther King, it made me think about him, but mommy, Monkeys are actually really smart and some people believe that humans come from monkeys. So why would they want to call black people monkeys? That's not fair. I mean, to be honest, those who believe in evolution, they say that, you know, people are descendants of of primates. So on one hand, she's using her childlike reasoning to create an understanding on an issue that runs so much deeper. And so then how do I explain to her who these people were? As she flips through her books and sees that the antagonist in the story looked like a lot of the people who are her neighbors without creating a resentment or a fearfulness, it's hard. And it is a constant, everyday battle because as they grow up, we're always mindful of these things. I have friends who are Latinas. And instilling in their children that they don't have to be afraid of deportation after seeing some of the things that were coming across the news to their children was heartbreaking. Because how do you explain to a Hispanic child who is an American citizen, whose parents are American citizens, but who are seeing people who look just like them and those they love being treated in some of the most heinous and horrendous ways? How do you explain that? and still protect their heart. Y'all, it's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard. And sometimes you get so used to doing it that you don't realize how heavy that load has become. And we can't control all things. You know, I'm a firm believer that when God says we are to cast our care upon him because he cares for us, that that's what we're called to do. But the truth of the matter is sometimes Sometimes we pick that load up in the moment because our children hit us with some things that we're not quite prepared for or because things are happening in the world. And for the sake of understanding, we have to give context for our children. And that's not to say that there aren't Caucasian families or parents who have lessons about, you know, history and different cultures and educating their children on the importance of diversity and respecting those of of other backgrounds and all of that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that there aren't white families who don't watch the news and have in-depth conversations. What I'm saying is, is when the individuals on the receiving end of absolutely disgusting treatment have been the pictures and videos you've been exposed to your entire life presented to you in school as the Almost the sum total of your existence in history. And then you have to live through it and then somehow find a way to share that with your children. It almost feels easier to want to hide it from them, to want to turn off the TV, to not get the newspaper, to create a bubble for them so that they can be the epitome of black girl joy and brown boy happiness and just exude black child magic and just exude black child magic. But then at some point, we're going to have to release them into this world. And if we have not prepared them, if we, not, if we have not had the conversations, if we have not planted the seeds within them to be courageous and to be proud of the glow in their skin and the curves in their body and the differences in their hair, then when they get out into this world And they're starting to be picked apart because the way their hair grows from their scalp is not seen as professional or the way their nose is placed on their face was the butt of a joke decades ago. And somebody brings that to their attention. They're going to fold under the weight. If we don't somehow share with them these truths that burden and have burdened so many people for so many generations, then it'll be a rude awakening. And none of us want to send our children out into a world that they don't feel prepared for. That would be derelict as parents because they don't get to stay home and be protected and cuddled and cared for forever. We can't shield and guard them from truths, even as children. And then you add the internet, social media, and all of these at-your-fingertip devices that will expose them to things much earlier than many of us we're ever really aware, and it becomes even more important to be the first voice to put truth or to put narrative to these things happening in the world. And even having this conversation, I'm telling you, it's kind of hard. It's really hard because I remember the microaggressions of you're really smart for a Black girl. You're so articulate. You're not like the rest of them. And I, for years, have vowed to not watch movies that relate to slavery because it, it does something in me. It makes me angry. It makes me angry on levels I really can't put into words. But then I use all of those emotions to remind me on why I have to do my part to share with my children and my children's children and whatever other generations may come after me. The importance of being rooted and grounded in truth, the fact that while the world may seem like it is being upended in chaos, while the things that we see may seem like the world is against us, that is not true. That if someone remarks about the color of your skin in a way to be reminded that you are made in the image of God, so you are therefore beautiful. If someone makes a remark about your perceived intelligence based on the way that you look or the color of your skin, that you have the mind of Christ, so you therefore cannot be dumb or stupid or anything less than excellent and intelligent. And that sometimes just because a person looks like you in color doesn't mean they have your best interest in heart. And just because a person doesn't look like you means that they're going to hate you. While juxtaposing that with things that are happening and being shown across the media, y'all, I'm tired thinking about it. I really am. Yet we do it. So, to all the women out there, Black, Latina, Native American, Asian, all of us who have difficult histories in this country when it comes to our people historically, but especially to my fellow women, but especially to the group of women whom I can relate to, the Black women who have been told that we are strong, even though the burden. We are asked to carry in society is far too heavy for any one group of people, let alone an individual. I get it, sis. And you're not alone, but that's the purpose of the village to hold each other up, to help each other out. I mean, I think about the moment in the Bible where Moses was holding his arms up. And as he held his arms up, they prevailed. And when he dropped his arms, they would be taken over in war. So Aaron and her held his arms up until they had won the battle. We all need an Aaron and a her sometimes because our children are going to bring things to our awareness or things are going to happen in this world that just become too heavy for us to carry. And just because it's too heavy to carry doesn't mean we don't still have to deal with it and go through it. So my encouragement here is we go through another week of Black History Month As we celebrate the accomplishments and the contributions that Black Americans have provided in this country for centuries, I just want to encourage you that it's hard now. But there were so many who endured and prayed and fought and died for us to be here at this moment. And it will never be perfect. It will never be completely peaceful because the heart of man's problem is the problem of man's heart. It is possible to curate conversations with our children. We cannot allow the darkness to reign. We cannot allow that invisible load to wear us down, to keep us stuck because the future generations need us to rise up, but we've got to be light in order to do it. We cannot hold the animosity because we will breed that in our children. We cannot hold the prejudice because we will give that to our children. And as we reconcile it for ourselves, what we teach our children is that you can see it and it can hurt and it can be true, but that doesn't make it the truth. You define truth based on biblical principle and what you know to be right and who you are called to be. That's what we need to give them a sense of confidence in who they were created to be imperfections and all that has absolutely nothing to do with how any other group, sees them or sees us. And while each generation says they want better for their children than they had, I do so wholeheartedly believe that if we can pass down to our children what it means to see ourselves as Christ sees us and to love each other and ourselves as our neighbor, then maybe, just maybe, a couple of generations between now and the rapture there will be a level of acceptance. And if nothing else, maybe just the load for our children as they become parents gets a little lighter than we had to carry. Because I can guarantee you the load that we carry as heavy as it may seem was much heavier 40 and 80 and hundred years ago. But because they endured and they pressed through, we are able to also. So my friends, I appreciate you. I thank you for joining me on the couch and I look forward to seeing you here next time.